Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. Well, there's going to be, I'm going to break some preaching rules, and there's going to be kind of a couple of different introductions to this sermon and this little kind of mini-series that we are entering into in, uh, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. First of all, I want to say, if, if you're not married, uh, if you're a kid or, or an adult and you're not yet married, or, or, or this is still a sermon for you. The, the reason is, is a couple. One, it's the Word of God. And, and we are to be instructed by the Word of God. So, so there, there is something in here for all of us because it, it teaches us something about the gospel. Perhaps someday you will be married, then this is a little more obvious word for you. But also, it's teaching us what we should see in godly marriages. So, there is a word here for all of us. Now, the second introduction that I want to make to this passage is, as we look at this particular section... This, this idea of wives submitting it to their husbands, this is a, a, one of the kind of hot-button passages that, that people don't like and don't like to deal with and don't like the implications of and, and causes you know, problems out in the world with, when we think about gender roles and, and all of the debates that are going on with that. And so at the beginning, I don't want this to just be a, a kind of apologetic defensive sermon of what this isn't saying. So, so right at the beginning, I'm going to give us four things that Paul is not saying in this passage. And then we're going to move on to a positive, more positive statement. First, he's not saying that men are superior, that, that, that somehow men outrank women or, or, or something like that. Second, he's not preaching here a general submission of women to men kind of across the board. This is a passage that is written to wives and husbands. Third, he's not saying that a wife has no say or sway, that, that a wife has no opinion to offer in a marriage. Fourth, he's not saying that a husband, that that we can just do whatever we want and expect our wives to just go along with it. Fifth, and finally, he's not saying that that a wife can only do exactly what her husband says as if somehow she just has to sit at the ready and wait for every command for every breath of her life. He's not saying any of these things. Now, the reason I say that is because you can find all of those twisted interpretations of this passage announced as what it is teaching. And you can also find all of those twisted interpretations of this passage announced as a reason not to believe the gospel. And so we need to be careful and and, and think carefully about what it is that Paul is instructing us in in this passage. And to your delight, there are nine points about submission that we're going to talk about. Now, most of them we're going to move through rather quickly. But there's a great deal that that is said in these few short verses that help us understand what is going on here and how it glorifies Christ. So first, the ideal of submission. 
Here we must understand, and this is kind of a a word of caution as we enter into this passage that is often missed, we must understand, first of all, that Paul is laying out the ideal functioning of both husband and wife and kids in this passage. That's what he's laying out. So this doesn't mean that, that if things are not ideal at home, then you can ignore this passage, but... We do have to understand that, that, that we must recognize that this passage by itself and the ideas that we find in it do not answer every difficult situation. And so we don't need to try to make them answer every difficult situation. It does apply to every marriage, to be sure, but we must understand that what Paul is laying out here is that this is how things are supposed to work. And so by definition, because we are all sinners... We're all going to have to examine ourselves of why isn't this how my marriage works? Or perhaps we have to examine ourselves of why is it that I don't like what this passage has to say to me? We've got to keep those things in mind. Second, and this is a very important point that we'll spend a little bit more time on, is the context of this submission to which wives are called. Now, you can find different ideas as to whether verse 21 that we are reading with this passage should go with this passage or not. And the commentaries are are pretty well evenly split on this idea. The reason I think they do go together is because verse 22 of chapter 5 doesn't have a verb in it. It's a verbless clause. And so you have to supply the, the, the verbal idea, the action, from somewhere else. Either what comes directly before it or what comes directly after it. That's usually kind of how it works. Frequently in Greek, it's what comes before it. It just so happens in this verse that the, the, the verbal idea that comes before it, submitting, and the verbal idea that comes after it, submitting, are the exact same. And so I think we're right to read this passage and the next passage and the next passage, each of these passages of husbands, wives, children, servants and masters, all of this as an extended explanation and and particular application of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is important because we need to see that, that wives are not being singled out for something that applies to them exclusively and doesn't apply to the rest of the body. Also, we we need to see that mutual submission and a clear line of authority in the family aren't mutually exclusive. So, So we need to keep those ideas in mind because sometimes those two realities get pitted against each other. It's, it's either there, there's a, a reality of, of authority and, and structure in the family or there's submission. But those aren't mutually exclusive ideas. And we'll talk more about that as we go on. The second point of, of context that we need to keep in mind as we look at this passage comes later in verse 32. After Paul expounds on husbands and their love for their wives and what that is supposed to look like and what it is that, that we as husbands are called to, he says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. In other words, it's the gospel that gives us the framework for understanding gender roles within marriage. And if we forget that, 
heart, if we forget that the gospel is what undergirds all of this, that's when we run off into, in in either direction, all kinds of, of twisting these verses into saying things that they may not actually say. And so the context of all of this is incredibly important that there's this close tie that Paul sees between uh, the relationship of a wife and her husband and Christ and the church. A tie that, that is built on the very gospel itself. Fourthly, the power for submission, which at this point could have been brought under the context, but I, I wanted to set it apart so that we can understand where the ability to do any of these things comes from. And this we'll see next week applies to to, to husbands as well as it does wives. And for this, we have to go back to verse 18. Paul is telling us how to look carefully and, and, and walk, and he gives all of these imperatives that we looked at last week. And in verse 18, we have the third kind of twin set of imperatives. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but... Be filled with the Spirit. And then he provides a series of participles that explain what it looks like to be filled by the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's why this matters. If you're in the position of, I don't want to do this. Or in the position of, I don't think I can do this. Well, in part, you are correct. Completely. Because the the only way that this is possible, if we understand it in the context, is by the power of the Spirit at work in us. Your flesh will not lead you to this conclusion. The the, the prince of the power of the air that that Paul talks about in Ephesians 2 or or the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience from the same passage or the cosmic powers over this present darkness or the spiritual forces of evil that that we're to to gird ourselves against in chapter 6. None of these will lead us to this conclusion. See, it is only the Holy Spirit, the, the very Spirit of Christ, at work in us that will lead either wives to to a place where they they hear these words and respond in faith. Or as we'll see next week, it's, it's only the Spirit that will lead husbands to hear the words that are given to us and we respond in faith. This goes all the way back to the fall in Genesis 3 where we're told that a wife's desire will be for her husband, but he must rule over her. And we see these twin plagues of dominion and abdication at work in marriages. And if you've been married for 30 seconds, you have felt that reality. And so we must remember, if our marriages, wives, if your submission to your husband is to properly reflect what it is supposed to reflect, the relationship of Christ and his church. That will only happen by a work of the Spirit within you. See, this isn't isn't saying that it's only those quiet, kind of naturally in this life submissive 
women that, that, that are good wives. Not at all. Not at all. What it's saying is, it is those who are walking by the power of the Spirit who has filled them that are able to heed this call and walk in obedience in such a way that Christ is glorified in them. Fourth, the subject of submission. And fifth, the object of submission. We'll we'll take these together. The subject of submission in, in, in this part is wives. And the object, of course, is husbands. This is, is, is plain on the face of the text, but we need to be reminded of that sometimes. The, Paul is setting up here a, a real authority, a real structure to the family that husbands are the head of the wife. And this doesn't undo the reality of mutual submission in any way whatsoever. We can look at all kinds of examples of of how this works, where where there is real authority, but also submission. We we can think of the relationship that a teacher has to their students. Clearly, there is an authority structure there, that the the teacher is is the one that's in charge of the classroom and and, and is leading the learning and, and all of those things. And the students are to submit to her. At the same time, there is a submission of the teacher to the students and that they have to stoop down to where the students are. My high school chemistry teacher failed at doing this. He was absolutely brilliant, insanely smart, had a doctor in chemistry and and taught regular people like me chemistry. And it was a bad plan. Because... What he knew and was able to explain about chemistry started way past what I knew and was able to explain about chemistry. And he didn't submit to the students in such a way that he would come in and say, hey, I know you're a bunch of morons whose only chemistry includes making Kool-Aid, so let me start there. And we were lost. And none of us know any more about chemistry now than we did at the beginning of that class. So mutual submission doesn't drive a wedge between authority within a relationship. And so saying that there is this authority, that wives are to submit to their husbands, doesn't undo the context in which we are to read this. The manner of submission We see in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, we must be clear here. This defines the manner of your submission, not the nature of your husband. It defines the manner of your submission, how you submit to your husband, not the nature of your husband. Paul is not here saying, submit to your husband as to the Lord because he basically is. Paul knows far better than that. He's not here exalting husbands to some pedestal that that wives are to simply bow before. 
Rather, he's introducing the manner of this submission, recognizing that there is real authority, there is real structure in the church and th- that this relationship reflects, and so there is in marriage as well. And so that submission comes from that place. Now, the seventh point, and we're going to spend a bit of time here. The grounds of submission. I want to be clear. Just a few minutes ago, I used this example from my high school uh, experience where there was a teacher who knew far more uh, than us bumbling students that, that didn't understand anything. And I used that as an illustration of marriage. Now, I want to be clear about why I was using that, because it plays into the grounds of submission. I was not using that as an illustration because husbands know all of this stuff and wives are morons that need to listen. No. That was what I said in that illustration to to illustrate that authority and submission can actually work together. That's where that analogy ends. For the grounds of submission, we have to use something else. And Paul gives us an analogy for the grounds of submission. And that's what we have in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. The the, the word for there, it's hati in Greek. It's, it could also be translated because. In other words, Paul is saying, the reason I have given this statement, wives submit to your husbands, is because your marriage and the, the wife's relationship to the husband and vice versa are a picture of the church's relation to Christ and vice versa. Headship is a reality within marriage. And it doesn't, as I've already said, undermine the reality of mutual submission. But it does set up a real authority structure within marriage that that has a number of important implications. First of all, headship, one of the implications is that there is this real authority within marriage. And, And a second implication of that, particularly for husbands is that with that authority comes responsibility. See, we we must remember that that anytime we see authority given in Scripture, it's given with responsibility for how it is carried out. This is even true with Christ. That's why he said, I didn't come to do my will. He came with real authority, with the the very authority of God to, to save his people from their sins. But he didn't come with the authority to do his own will. But he tells us, as we read in John 6, to do the will of his father. Here, when husbands are given authority... We are given authority within the marriage, but it's an authority to do a particular thing for which we will be held responsible. You see the same reality with the authority structure within the church. This is why Paul says, or James says, don't let many of you become teachers because you will be judged more harshly. Why I chose to stand here, I have no idea when I read that passage. 
Or as the author of Hebrews says to, to the church, let those that, that are in authority over you do it with, with joy. Because they're going to have to give an answer. The, the elders of this church, the deacons of this church, the officers of this church, we will have to give an answer for how we shepherd the body. See, with authority comes responsibility. Husbands, if, if this is how we are going to say that marriages are to be arranged and, and this is the real authority so that, so that wives should submit to us. Guess what, guys? We are putting on ourselves incredible responsibility to then lead our wives according to the word of God. A third implication of this that points more to wives is that there is freedom. We, we can see this in, in, in the, the uh, last couple of years uh, using the church again as an illustration of this. There, there were a number of decisions and continue to be decisions that the leadership of this church in relation to COVID and, and everything else, there's a number of decisions that we have had to make that we will have to bear responsibility for before God. It's why we meet and pray about this and, and, and the decisions that we make again and again and again because we recognize the responsibility that is on us. But in that responsibility being on us, there is a deep freedom that y'all are given to follow us and to submit to us. Knowing that if we make a decision, it is we... Who will be held responsible for it? Not you. The shepherd is the one who is responsible for the sheep. The sheep are free to listen and obey and submit. We see this same freedom in marriages. Now, I want to be clear. This is a freedom that wives have. I'm not saying husbands are therefore free to do whatever they want. No, no, no. It's not that freedom. It's, it's a freedom that, that wives have as they process this submission that the Bible talks about. That you're submitting to one who will be held responsible for how he leads. And so you can respond to Christ in faith in your marriage with such freedom. Now, there are limits. If your husband is telling you to sin, you also have a freedom there to not. And to say, no, I won't do that. Because ultimately your authority is Christ. The second implication is that flows from this is that there is protection for wives. There, there should be. As we look at this ideal picture, if this is played out, there's profound protection for wives in this. Now, the second or, or the final clause of verse 23, commentators are, are frequently baffled by, where Paul adds, and is himself its savior speaking of Christ's relationship to the church. 
And, and no one, for obvious reasons, wants to take the step of saying yes, and the husband is the savior of the wife, for a whole bunch of reasons. You run into all kinds of heresies doing that. So why is this clause there? What is the point? Well, again, I think it is illustrating for us the grounds of submission. When I read this and, and read it in context, I come away thinking that, that this clause regarding Christ as the Savior serves as a foretaste of the kind of husband the man is to be, which, which Paul is going to go on to expound in the next section. Here's what that means. Just as the Christ to whom the church submits is the one who willingly gave himself for her ultimate good, so the husband to who the wife is to submit is assumed to be here, not one who demands his glory from the wife, but who lets go of his glory for the wife, for her good. See, what Paul is giving us here in this picture, in this call to submission, is the type of husband that you're to be submitting to, that he's going to spend far more words explaining in the next section. Again, he's picturing here the ideal. And what is supposed to be happening is, wives, you are to be submitting to a husband whose job and goal in your marriage is not his own glory, is not his own pleasure, is not his own plans, is not his own desires, is not his own flesh, but your good. That's the picture of submission we have, even as Christ plan and goal and desire wasn't his but his father's for the good of his bride as we're going to read next week that she might be presented spotless now this raises a number of questions doesn't it what do we do when that's not happening how do we process a wife's response when this isn't what is going on? And that's a very important question. And we can't get into all of it, but I'll, I'll say this. I'll say two things. One, wives, you are not to submit to your husband in sin. If he is calling you into sin in whatever way, you are not to submit to him in that. Second, this is where we need to have the boldness as Christians to say sin is sin. And when husbands are, are failing to do this, to seek the help of the church, to seek the help of the session, to seek the help of your pastor, the, the, these men who have been called to shepherd and protect and walk with you in this. What Paul is decidedly not saying here is submit and take it. Not at all. He's calling both parties to a very high view of their role in marriage. And when this ideal isn't what is happening, 
that's, that's where you lean on the church. That the means of grace and the tools of discipline, positive and negative, might be used as necessary and as is prudent for the glory of Christ. Because the husband, if you were to submit to him as to Christ, as the church does to Christ, who is its Savior, the husband, the ladies that you are to be submitting to, is one who is setting himself aside for your good, not using you for his own glory. And that is key. Because when we think about what it was that Christ did to fulfill this clause as the Savior, it's exactly that. Being in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the form of man. And he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Why? That he might save his bride. Husbands, is this who you are giving to your wife for her to submit to. If it's not, if it's not, the problem does not begin with her and her lack of submission to you. It begins with you and your refusal to set yourself aside as your Savior did for her good. So don't, if you're refusing to do that, don't you dare, men, throw this passage in your wife's face. Because that is not why it was given at all. But see in this passage your own failure and the Savior who died for that failure and the spirit who fills you that you might not walk in that failure. That's the grounds for submission that Christ gave himself for the church and this sets a pattern for marriage. Husbands, You are the head, and the head gives himself for the body that she might live. Eighth, the nature of submission in verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The nature of this, as as, uh, Charles Hodge points out, the nature of this submission is religious. As the church submits to Christ, how do we submit to Christ? We submit to him in worship. We submit to him in, in faith. It's this religious act. And there is a picture of this, not saying that you worship your husband, not saying that you bow before him as Savior, but this is exemplified 
in marriage. The church submits to Christ in worship and in faith and in thanksgiving and in in all that we do because of what he has done for us. So wives submit to husbands because of what he does for them. It's a response to grace. That's the nature of submission. And I understand that that our sin on both sides messes this whole thing up. But this is the nature of it that we're given. As we've sung in, in the hymns that we've sung this morning, the reason that we're a guest at this feast It's because Christ in his grace, Christ in his love, the Father in his perfect mercy drew us to himself and gave us for himself. That's the nature of this submission. It's a response to grace. It's a response to love. It's a response to being cherished. That's what we're being called to. Ninth, and finally, the extent of submission. As we've already said, already read, in everything to their husbands. To use another example from our ecclesiology, we would say, what does the church submit to Christ in? And the answer, in everything. He's the head. He's the only true head of the church. Jesus Christ. And so we submit to him in everything. However, we recognize that he hasn't dictated every step that we're to take. And so we have things like in this denomination, the book of church order. Because he hasn't dictated exactly how every single thing is to be done in the church. We have to stop and and think through some stuff and say, okay, well, how are we going to do this or that or or some other thing? How are we going to process receiving people into membership as we're going to get to do here in a few minutes? We submit to him in everything, but he hasn't dictated every detail. So it is with husbands and wives. Wives, yes, you're called to submit in everything. But that doesn't mean, as I've already said, that you just sit and wait for him to tell you to breathe or tell you to move or tell you to get out of bed or or whatever. Not at all. Not at all. When we see this picture of the excellent wife in Proverbs 31, it's hardly just this passive, quiet, little woman that just waits to... No, she's out making deals. She's unbelievably industrious, buying fields, getting stuff done while her husband is at the gate doing what he's called to do. She submits to him in everything, but she's unbelievably industrious. She submits to him in everything, but she's incredibly active. She submits to him in everything. But she uses her God-given intellect and skill and ability and everything for the good of her family and the glory of her God. 
So we've got to let this passage say all that it says, but not force it to say more than it says. That's the balance that has to be struck here. And the way that that balance is struck is by coming back again and again as we have seeing that the picture that undergirds all of this is Christ and his church, the gospel. That's what undergirds a wife's submission. That's what undergirds, as we'll see next week, a husband's headship. That's the basis for all of it. And so the question for us today is, is this what our marriages look like? And and to some degree, the answer is probably yeah. But to some degree also, the answer is probably not really. And the answer, therefore, isn't husband's. Wives, wife, should be singular, submit. The answer is to run to Christ and take her with you. And find your hope and security and identity in him. And repent of all the idols that you've brought into your marriage. And that you demand to be worshipped. For your glory. That's the answer here. Might we learn to run to Christ together and being filled with the Holy Spirit carry out our marriages in such a way that this profound mystery is exemplified and exalted for all the world to see. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that it calls us to, and we admit that it is quite challenging at places. Yet, Lord, we rejoice that what we find, even undergirding these challenging places, is nothing less than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we find in all of this is no one less than the Spirit of Christ who empowers us to do what you've called us to. And so we ask that he would teach us as wives to submit to our husbands and as husbands to be this man of grace and love to whom they submit. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and theology.